And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome into On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Patrick Mooney. It is June 20th. That is the second half of June, and the Chicago Cubs are still in it. There's your there's your standings check. Um, we will talk about that, uh, how much it matters now, what we should be, you know, what fans should be focused on right now, all that kind of stuff. But for now, up front, want to note the Cubs beat the Pirates last night in Pittsburgh to open that series after having swept them last week. Uh, in between, they took two of three from a very good Orioles team. And overall, eight of ten since the um, since that Angels sweep. And I think you, you said it before we started recording, but that's how I would have said it too, is... The Cubs have done what they needed to do during this stretch to for for me to be able to, to open this podcast with the the oh it's June twentieth and I mean I, I don't know we can talk about standings or not but it's almost like I increasingly agree with some things I heard Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins say in various appearances over the past week which is that it, it's like they're looking more at where the team is in relation to five hundred in terms of making any decisions and evaluating performance because the standings are such a mush, such a mush right now that the Cubs are going to have to pass a bunch of teams anyway. So really just keep it, keep it a little more localized and focus on, are you performing like you need to be performing f- to look like a team that justifies not selling in a month? No doubt. They, like you said, they did what they had to do and that doesn't really guarantee anything other than, we could have another, you know, maybe week or two of the Cubs being viable. And I do think they've passed more of an eye test. And I do think internally, the way they started talking amongst themselves after getting swept in Anaheim was like, okay, it's time to pick it up. And those that wasn't just words. It was actions with some of the roster moves and lineups decisions uh, that they have made. And, you know, a Pirates person whom I was talking to last week brought up a good point of like the the season gets harder the deeper you get into it. And I do think there is an element or two of this team that could get better and that should have some staying power when you look at the starting rotation, when you look at a bullpen that isn't quite the same dumpster fire that it was earlier that it is kind of orderly now 
And if you have those elements and, you know, Cody Bellinger coming back, uh, Mike Talkman uh, sort of coming out of nowhere here and becoming this really nice piece of the puzzle, like, yeah, if they get back to 500, uh, they're going to be in a great spot in, in an awful division. And it's going to become increasingly hard for, you know, as much as Jed Hoyer focuses on the long term and, you know, sets his personal feelings aside, like, does he really want to have another white flag trade? I mean, people still talk about what the White Sox did, you know, a generation or two ago uh, in this town. And like, I don't know, as long as the Cardinals continue to have this like, epically bad season and you know assuming the reds or the brewers don't get like insanely hot and pull away um they've done what they've had to do for now well it's funny you mentioned the white flag trade and i mean you can say that in all capital letters for a reason because folks around chicago baseball know and i think at this point in time for this cubs team and the cubs organization given the way the last 10 years have played out, I think it would be much more, um, it would stick a lot longer if they sold and were wrong than if they held or bought and were wrong. I think there'd be a whole lot more grace given if, you know, there were a couple games under 500 and they're like, well, we don't have much of a chance. Let's just kind of, let's just hold it together. See what happens. Um, most times, modern fans have been conditioned to think of that as an enormous failure. If you hold, if you don't do anything and then you like, don't make the playoffs, what a waste, what a waste of a year. You could have added some prospects, et cetera, et cetera. You could have improved your draft standing, all that. Um, it's like what we saw. I mean, we've seen the Rockies do it a million times. We saw the giants do it, uh, just what last year. Um, and it, it's heavily criticized in, in terms of that uh, the trade deadline is supposed to be this binary of buy or sell. But there are some circumstances when you take in, you know, uh, the makeup of the roster, the context of an organization's trajectory and the, the makeup of a division where you could say, you know what, holding is actually kind of sensible. And I'm, I'm coming or I'm teeing that up now. We're going to to talk about it now because everything could change in a month, just like it has changed on us many times over the last few weeks. But I, I want to start wrapping my head around that idea and fans, I heads around the idea that holding, you know, not selling and not buying aggressively can be an appropriate trade deadline uh, movement for certain organizations. And I, I can envision a scenario where if the Cubs keep kind of doing what they've been doing, that that might be their course. But let me use that to segue into bullpen talk because if <clears throat> standing pat at the deadline doesn't mean you literally do nothing because adding an arm for the bullpen, um, as we saw in the the biggest investors for the Cubs during the, the last upswing, they would always add sort of marginal guys. I think about Joe Smith a lot and how that trade was barely noticed and how he was a useful guy uh, for them that they don't cost a lot. You just, you know, those I think moves you could make almost any year. Um, so when I say standing pat, I'm not excluding the possibility of the Cubs adding like a, just a, a marginal upgrade in the bullpen. Um, now two, three weeks ago, it, if the Cubs had been playing well, but the bullpen had still looked at as it looked, it would, 
this conversation would be, holy crap, they have to add multiple re- impact relievers at the deadline. This is a nightmare looming. And while I still think the bullpen could give them some heartburn the rest of the way, it has started to feel like there's a little bit more stability in roles and performance. And I do wonder now if that, that thing we always talk about where guys sort of settle in and you figure out what you have, you figure out who can do what, um, did that happen and we missed it or is, or is this, this just kind of the bleeding edge of it finally starting to settle in? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, part of it is the Cubs have been getting better starting pitching too, right? Or there are just those moments where, um, you know, and I think you're exactly right of that there is an element of the eye test here. So like if Justin Steele's forearm is not an issue or just a a minor issue, uh, which he showed last time out, then you have that going in your favor. You have Kyle Hendricks, who, let's be honest here, we had no idea like if he had anything left in the tank at all, and he looks awesome. Um, you have you know, the rest of a rotation, uh, I guess setting aside Jameson Tyon, who can't be much worse than he's been thus far. And if he's like your fifth, kind of like your fifth start, I guess that's a whole separate conversation. But you have, you, you have the makings of uh, a very strong rotation, uh, Ross clearly has guys that he trusts uh, out of the bullpen. And it's like the defense uh, is very good. And if you just get enough timely hitting, like there's like kind of a lot of the best case scenarios that the Cubs are hoping for heading, heading into the season have come true. And they have not fully capitalized on it. They've come very close to absolutely wasting all of it. Um, but it's kind of like what, Dansby Swanson uh, said the other day, you know, drawing upon his experience with the Braves, like you just have to stay in the fight. And there's a lot of value in just, you know, running this marathon, you know, as hard as well and as well as you can until the finish line uh, to see what happens, because there is no dominant team in this division. There are a lot of front offices that will be, you know, kind of on on the hot seat here and, you know, players who haven't gone through the 162 game schedule before um so when you like add all that stuff up um it's not that far off to envision what you're talking about brett it's interesting that you mentioned the idea that not every team that the cubs are competing against in this division has a an overwhelming volume of players who have done the 162 game grind in a race uh, competed at this level. And sometimes that can work in your favor because you're young and you don't know what you don't know. And you're just sort of high flying and fun and playing well. But also sometimes it can be that the league adjusts as it always does. And you don't quite know how to pull yourself out of that. And uh, you maybe see things start to turn for you in August and into September, and then everybody starts looking ahead. And suddenly, you know, a a team that right now the Reds have won nine in a row and they look like, wow, this is this is an incredible team. And that isn't me saying that they aren't. They have a ton of talent and they have more at AAA waiting to come up. But you do wonder if if their experience of the next few months is going to. Um, become more difficult simply by virtue of their youth. Uh, talent is 
the main driver of success in this league, but there is something to be said for experience to, to holding it steady at the times when they are low, which we did see from this Cubs team because they do have a lot of veteran leadership that, you know, maybe we're just constructing narratives, but it does feel like maybe they helped steady things and keep the floor from really falling out, especially after that angel sweep. It would have been very easy to be like, oh, well, that's it. I mean, again, I'll own it. I saw that and I said, oh, yeah, this is a team that's going to sell. That That's that's that. And I would love to be wrong when the final accounting comes in, but I will say already that I was wrong, that I underestimated the ability of this group to kind of put on the brakes and say, okay, you know, we've lost a lot. Hits aren't falling. Uh, starting pitching is not going deep. Bullpen isn't sorted. But I look around the room, there's a lot of talent, there's a lot of experience. Let's just keep doing what we do and maybe the wins will come. And that's how it has played out for at least, you know, a couple of weeks now. Yeah, my understanding of the timeline is you have that Thursday night in Anaheim when the Cubs get swept and David Ross calls out the offense saying our hitters need to be more accountable for their at bats because our pitching is good enough to win ball games. And Ross didn't raise his voice. Um but it was very much out of character for you know someone who's generally Mr. Positive. And then the next day in San Francisco, uh, Nick Madrigal is there on top of uh, Miguel Maya already being promoted during that West Coast trip. And so Ross speaks with Jan Gomes about the 2019 Nationals. Then he goes to Dansby Swanson and said, hey, just so I kind of get everything right here, what was with the Braves in 2021? Two teams that underperformed for a really long time and won the World Series. And not to say there's a direct comparison here, um, but it was just this idea that Ross wanted to get across uh, during the normal hitters meeting before the start of a three-game series. And they're in the batting cage area there at Oracle Park. And, you know, Ross was a little more stern this time than kind of some of the happy talk that is usually around the Cubs and just this idea of playing with a lot more intent and focus and that production matters. And of course there were also actions behind this. So you have Matt Mervis, you know, knowing he's on the hot seat and getting called out Cody Bellinger switching to first base, coming back up Mike Talkman being installed uh, as this, leadoff guy Christopher Morell being put in timeout for three games and kind of working on uh, his mindset as a designated hitter and so it always helps you know to this wasn't like a team meeting team meeting I'm using air quotes it was more part of the normal course of the day but like it helps uh, to have your best pitcher pitching that night before you have that and Stroman goes out and then Hendricks goes out and so like there's a lot uh going on here in terms of like buttons the cubs uh have pressed that have worked out um recently and i think you've seen ross whether it's on his bullpen decisions or how the lineups he's presenting every day um there is a recognition and players have said this of you know the tone that we've been using is different like nico horner saying i've been encouraged by what i've been hearing this is back in san francisco of how we're going to play and how we're going to prepare that, like, you know, it's long season, yada, 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 things will turn. He's like, no, we have to go make that happen. And that's something that Dansby Swanson has believed as well. So, like, part of this is stories we're telling ourselves, but it's also, like, a, you know, very clear recognition internally that it's go time and they have to pick it up. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, I mean, they had, these guys aren't idiots. It doesn't, just because they may not read everything or, or see all of the media to form these, you know, to have their thoughts influenced externally doesn't mean they can't look at a schedule and they can't see what happens in years past when the team isn't competitive and that they can't put two and two together and realize, Oh, it's, it's not quite now or never, but it's pretty darn close to that. And, and that is why we had the conversations we had at that time. And um, I do, I do like that it was paired, like you said, with organizational action. And it's one of those things where at a micro level, each decision was just, sensible you know like you know when when Miguel Amaya comes up when he did it's just sort of well you know there's there's a roster spot gonna be available he's clearly already very successful at AAA you know maybe we can make this work and uh Chris Christopher Morell sitting down for that Angel series well you know he's clearly struggling with his contact rates and the league has adjusted and you know whatever Matt Mervis going down well he had a lot of time and Cody Bellinger coming up and playing first well you know there's and offensive struggles there. Mike Talkman sticking around and playing center. Well, you know, you go through all of these things at an individual level and each just feels explicable on its own merits as a very small decision. But the aggregate of all that stuff, Nick Madrigal coming up too, uh, the aggregate of all of that stuff together and you see the, the levers that we talked about for a long time, you know, did they have many left to pull? That's, I mean, they pulled him. They pulled him. We were kind of looking at it on the pitching side a lot of time. Like, what are what are the relievers who can come up from AAA and who can be converted and Ben Brown and Daniel Palencia and all these kinds of things. And lo and behold, it, it was all on the positional side, the really aggressive stuff the Cubs could do. Um, and, and that does marry well with your, your reminder of what David Ross said, that the pitching, by and large, has been good enough to win games and the offense had not. Now... A lot of that was the situational hitting, which is itself, a lot of that is not 
predictable, controllable, some of it's fluky. Um, but what we've seen during this last, you know, 10 game stretch where they've won eight games, I, I would have to look back and see, but a whole lot of those have been blowouts and they turned into blowouts because the Cubs just kept pouring it on. And you know what uh, doesn't matter much in, in blowouts? Situational hitting. If you're scoring 10 runs, but you, you missed that 11th run because a guy didn't come through, uh, you know, when uh, there's a leadoff double and you didn't score that guy, meh, you already scored 10 runs. You're fine. And so uh, you, can, you can cover over a lot of situational struggles if you've earlier in the game built out a big lead and had these big crooked, crooked number innings as the Cubs have. Um, will that continue? We'll see. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Mike Talkman at the top of the lineup uh, because again, his installation, like you said, pairs with a lot of this stuff. Um, and I think the Cubs were out in front of some of his success this past week, at least, because they had made the decision clearly um, when Cody Bellinger was rehabbing at Iowa that he was going to play first base in part to protect the knee um, so that you could get his bat back a little more quickly. Um, but both. Jed Hoyer and David Ross mentioned Mike Talkman by name in that decision about the, you know, implying that they wanted to be able to have the option of keeping him in center field and getting Bellinger's bat back. Um, at the time it felt, um, it felt a little early to be suggesting, you know, that, that Talkman was establishing himself as a guy that you can't take out of the lineup at the expense of whoever else would be, uh, playing first base or DHing if Bellinger was back in center. Um, and I'm not necessarily prepared to say after a week of great performance that like, oh man, the Cubs knew something about uh, a 32 year old who was coming back from Korea last year, you know, but <laughs> I mean, they've, they've been right and he's mattered a lot this past week. He, his performance has absolutely mattered. And so I do wonder, I, I kind of wonder what they talk about in relation to Talkman. Um, no pun intended, what they talk about behind closed doors, you know, like what do they think his, the rest of this season look like, looks like, uh, you know, I, I just, I would be curious about that. Well, if the Cubs knew they probably would have put him on the opening day roster. Right. I mean, like that, <laughs> right. That's, yeah. I granted he was like, you know, going to be the guy uh, when we thought say uh, was going to be out for a long time and whatever that's history now, I guess. But um I do think it's interesting too when you look at the shape of this team. That's a great point of Talkman. Like, do you think he can sustain a, a level of reasonable production? And then also, I mean, off the top of my head, like, how many games did they have lined up with Bellinger and Morell together, or like Morell kind of like in sync? Like, if you feel like those are two like dudes in the middle of your lineup, like that kind of changes things as you look at July. Uh, in August, September, that maybe you just that thump is there, and you can turn some of those close games into you know more uh, lopsided ones. Like there's, and then two, you know, there's going to be more injuries too, right? So we're going to have to see like how they respond to stuff like that. But if they're like reasonably healthy and are you know can avoid. Um, you know, what we saw in, say, 2021, like, if the bottom does fall out, and I have have been circling that four-game series in Milwaukee for a long time uh, before the All-Star break, which leads into three games at Yankee Stadium. Like, they're still, they're not out of the woods 
yet, but they've at least like given the front office a, a lot to think about. So this is going to be a weird week for the Cubs because they have two more in Pittsburgh and then they have a couple days off as they travel to London to play the Cardinals for two games this weekend. Um, and then they come back and I do, I do wonder what the impact is going to be uh, of the, that added travel. And it's sort of um, cool, cool, great experience. I'm sure the players are generally stoked about it. Um, I think as a, as a worrier, that's what I am by nature. I see it and I'm like, damn it, that is badly timed, man. That is just some badly timed disruption to everybody's regular schedule and routine. Um, all to play a Cardinals team that like, if you win those games, it's like, yeah, the card just because the Cardinals suck and they're a disaster this year. If you, God forbid, drop those games, it just it becomes this. Well, uh, you know, there's the Cardinals to play spoiler. Um it just feels for, for us fans as a lot of no win uh, stuff. And so I do wonder how the Cubs are going to try to combat that in terms of travel plans, getting maybe the starting pitchers there a little early to, to, to adjust, or will they travel with the team TBD? Um, I think um, it, it, it's, I suppose the point there as it relates to the next two games is feels all the more important while you're still, while you are still in your normal rhythms uh you know, maybe, maybe, maybe take these two games in Pittsburgh and, and sweep the pirates back to back and uh, kind of send their, their season into a bit of a sp- spiral. <laughs> that's a great point about the logistics of the London trip. Like that seems like, you know, I feel like towards the end of Joe Madden's tenure, that became a big thing of like the Cubs whining about, you know, the schedule and travel plans. Am I remembering now, that rightly? It, you are, I was going to say, you are remembering it correctly, but in fairness to Madden and, frankly, myself, because I complained about it a whole lot. There was that one stretch, uh, and it was uh, 18, 2018, because remember, the Cubs yeah, had the yeah. lead. They led it for most of the year, and then they they, they had uh, 41 games in 40 days stretch, or some, something just bonkers like that because of some rescheduling decisions. They had to, like, fly into D.C. one day, play, and then go fly somewhere else and play the next day. during a hurricane, and didn't, like, Rizzo wear his uniform on the plane or something like that? Is that it? On the plane, yes. Yes. I mean, it was just... uh, If if the schedule were ever going to be an excuse, it was absolutely an excuse that time. Um, So, you're right. I got to go back and study what I wrote back then so that I can be (laughs) well-practiced. Uh, for next week, if the Cubs do, the do struggle in London, points. I can, yeah, I can be like, okay, here's here's what you need to know about the body clock and uh, human evolution. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, well, uh, I'm good. You got anything else you want to want to drop on, folks? Any any other travel tips? Uh, you know what? It's I'm seeing a lot of uh, Cubs fans and stuff have started their they they, they clearly planned out a week in in uh, across the pond so i'm seeing a lot of pictures already uh yesterday and today from england from fans so i hope it is you know we'll we'll talk to you folks before that but i do hope that it's a good week for folks and that it's a good experience for exposure for major league baseball and for the cubs and for you know all that stuff i don't mean to denigrate the series because i do think it is a cool idea that they do these things and at least um in London, it won't be like the stadium in Mexico City where uh, it's like they were playing with uh, Super Bowls and every stat cast record gets broken in one series. Um, 
Yeah, so we'll talk on Thursday after the, uh, well, I guess I'll take this off mic with Mooney because we may want to try to recalibrate that to, to capture all of the Pirates series, given the two off days. But suffice to say, you'll hear from us uh, later this week. The Cubs have two more in Pittsburgh, like I said, before the London series. We uh, appreciate you listening, as always. This is On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Patrick Mooney. Get his at The Athletic. Talk to you again soon. Take care, folks. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.